Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have the actress, Shannon Wilson. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Um, so I, I did get to watch the trailer of Snow Babies. Can you tell me a little bit about um, how you got that part and what the movie's about? Sure. Um, I got that part because, well, I, what should I tell first? I guess I'll I don't know. I guess I'll tell how I got the part first. I, <laughs> I, uh, there's a casting director in Philadelphia named Diane Erie, who I've auditioned for for um, quite a few things, and she recommended me um, f- to the writer and to the dr- director. So she reached out to my manager, Georgianne, at CPM Talent, who's believed in me and, and uh, has gotten me into some great, great rooms uh, for casting directors. And I just put the audition down, and they offered me the part a few days later, and Snow Babies, it's S-N-O Babies, and it's about um, my daughter who is a heroin addict. She's a 16-year-old honor student uh, on, her way to, on her way to Princeton, and she becomes addicted to heroin after taking Oxycontin at a party. So the movie's really about just educating everyone on how opioids and heroin can just hit anybody at any time no matter their demographic and age gender anything yeah i mean that's actually a topic that really hits home for me because one i'm from princeton and i was also very active in uh you know the like in the recovery community there Mm -hmm. and um so you know i've seen unfortunately hundreds of kids you know, just die. Yeah. You know, um, they, they start on the, out on the pills and then they're doing street heroin and then they get heroin with fentanyl in it and that's it. It's over. And their life's done before they're like even 20 years old. Yeah, it's so sad. And I was pretty naive to, to that. I mean, I knew that there, were, there was an opioid epidemic in the Midwest. You heard about that. I watched that on 60 Minutes a few years ago. I didn't realize how prevalent it was. And how serious it was with kids that young and the film the writer mike walsh and the director bridget she they interviewed a lot of teen recovering addicts and you know people that are in rehab right now and they got they took a lot of their stories and put that into the film so the way that the the girls are shooting up in the film how they're hiding the heroin bags from their parents those are all from actual stories that people told them because yeah. it almost seems far-fetched. And my manager, well, I have an agent in Charlotte. Her name's Luann at Monarch Talent. And she called me after she saw the movie. She's got a Southern accent. She's like, I don't know how you didn't know that your daughter was on heroin. I don't even know how you missed all those signs. And I, and I said, that's the thing. You don't, they know how to hide it. And you're busy parents and you don't pay attention sometimes, nor do you even think your kid's on heroin. Why would you even think that? Right. Um, so we just want to really educate and let everyone know that it can hit anybody at any time. And those pills are so dangerous, especially for kids that are in sports right. at 13, 14, they get injured and they get hooked. Yeah. And, and also, you know, a pill seems harmless, you know, cause, cause 
you're, you're used to taking pills. You're used mm-hmm. to taking aspirin, allergy, but whatever it is, you look at a pill, you don't really think much about it. It's not like sticking a needle in your arm. You right. Know? Um, so, so in the beginning, it, it really seems very harmless. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I, I know a lot of people that had started out on pills, you know, because of that. And then the pills become too expensive and then they start turning to, to you know, they start snorting heroin usually because uh, you don't want to use a needle. And then eventually, mm-hmm. you know, they build up the courage to just do it. Yeah, they, they just lose all sense of safety at that point because it's just they just want to get, you know, that fix. And the film, they actually went into Kensington Avenue and shot scenes. And for those of you who don't know or understand Kensington Avenue, that's in in Philadelphia, and it's the epicenter of the heroin epidemic in our country. People bust themselves in from all over the country to come to Kensington Avenue because that's where the heroin is. So they had police escorts go in with the film crew, and they shot they shot the scenes on Kensington Avenue with with the two girls, uh, Katie Kelly and Paula Andino. So that they just wanted it to be as real as possible for the viewers and to really get a feel for what how desperate you can be. Yeah. Um, I used to have a friend that, uh, like, one time she, she called me and she was on Kensington Avenue and she said her car broke down or something <sighs> and wanted me to come get her. So I went down there and I picked her up and uh, she was so high that she was <sighs> in my backseat of my car. She, 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 she nodded out. And I looked back there, and I and I, and I thought she was dead. You know, I said, shit. You know, she's, I, she died in my car. What am I going oh to do? God. You know, how you can explain that? <laughs> yeah, and I really didn't know what to do. That's terrible. And, um, and, and luckily, she woke up. Like as soon as I got her back to her house, she woke up. You know, because I was driving down ninety five, so I couldn't like just. I wasn't going to pull over and check because there's just too many cops. You know, I didn't want to draw any attention. So I figured I would just keep going. That's a terrible situation to be in. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and just that, that neighborhood, you know, it's like, like that's just a common thing that comes out of Kensington and Allegheny. Oh, my gosh. Is she okay? Was she, did she get help? She, she lived after that. I don't know if she's still alive. Um, mm. I have not heard from her in a long, long time. So I have no idea, you know. It's a really tough addiction to be. And unfortunately, most people don't survive. Yeah. The, the film Snow Babies, we had the original film when we shot it, um, had a different ending. And the focus groups were so devastated afterwards that when, so it was an independent film and, you know, just a really small indie film. And it ended up, uh, Alan Kovac, who's the manager for Motley Crue, and a number of other bands that you know famous bands he produced the dirt on netflix which was about the motley oh, crew it's a great um, movie I love yeah it movie. was and alan kovac was one of the producers so they became a part of the project and nikki six was you know really loved snow babies because he's obviously a, a very vocal uh, recovering addict so um where was i going with that i just lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. I just lost my train of thought, but that's the producer. of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so they were just really in support of the film. Ending was so sad. So Alan said for, yeah, there we go. This is how my mind works. Right. So Alan said, um, 
we need to change the ending and show hope because there, there are people that recover. I talked to someone on a podcast last night, uh, Matt Gwynn. I mean, his story, 18 years he was an addict and he's got, you know, he's, he's okay. I mean, he's not okay. He still has to battle, you know, throughout, you know, there's some days that are harder than others, but there is hope at the end. So we, we reshot the ending yeah. to show that, you know, it doesn't always have to end badly. Yeah. Like I, I, I've been, I guess I'll kind of give it away. Like I, I've been in sober now for, I think it's 33 years. Wow. That's amazing. And it's um, awesome. And, and I was young when I got sober, I was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like, I, I, I was not a fan of like heroin and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. it, it made me sick. You know, I, I liked smoking opium, but I didn't like heroin. And, um, but I had reached a point like where, uh, you know, like I knew it was going to kill me where I was going to jail. Wow. And, and even at that point though, I was like, I had accepted. I said, okay, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to die. You know, dying is like easier because at that age, the idea of living without drugs and, and alcohol and friends seemed lonely. I said, man, mm-hmm. if I quit this, my life is over. You know, there's yeah. going to be shit for me to do. It's going to be fun again. You know, because I was young and all I wanted to do was go to concerts and party and have fun and, and, and you know, hang out with girls and stuff like that. You yeah. Know, kid stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, it just seemed like the end of my life. And uh, and I had started, um, I had a friend who, who ended up in a, in a recovery program. Actually, it was my cousin. And he had to go to court, go to him because of court. No, go. And one of the places that he, we went to, there was a lot of um, uh, ex-Hells Angels. You know, they're like sober bikers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't know. They sort of like adopted me, you know. Mm, that's nice. <laughs> and, uh, they- and it was cool because they didn't tell me what to do. Yeah. You know, they were just like, you know what? If, if this is what you want, give it a try. If you don't, go do your own thing. And... Um, and what was interesting, like with me, because I was really rebellious, is, uh, you know, I, I was I was able to stop doing the drugs and stuff, but they just sort of, you know, pushed me in. Not didn't push me. I mean, I just sort of found other bad things to do <laughs> that <laughs> weren't as vices. harmful. <laughs> other vices. Yeah, and, and that and that was like sort of like the beginning of that transition, but but the thing was. You know, they showed me that the, that that my life wasn't going to end. The party wasn't over yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, I I could see that where you just think, oh my God, it's going to be, especially for that kind of person or that kind of kid that needs excitement all the time, right? So you yeah. kind of probably already have that personality where you just get easily bored. You're probably hyper, and um, I don't know if you are, but it just seems like you want to. You just need that excitement, that adrenaline. Uh, is that true? I mean, is that what you were, you just got, um, you just wanted things to be hap- exciting. I, I mean, I liked adventure. I wouldn't say I was hyper. Um, yeah, you don't sound it. Actually. I was, but I was very into music. I mean, I loved heavy metal and punk. And, uh-huh. And, um, and I was just sort of, I was, I was very attracted to sort of like the dark side of life. Yeah. Um, like the, the underbelly of society, the, the rebellious part of society, the anarchists and stuff like that. Yeah, like, right, living on the edge. And that was all, that's what heavy metal and punk was, you know, punk, especially, you know, they were all, it was all kind of, I don't know, <laughs> rebellion, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the rebels. 
Mm -hmm. and, and I think when you have that mindset, it's, it's, it's hard to think about life without drugs. Well, didn't opium just make you want to pass out um, and chill out? Yeah, it was, was very laid back and relaxed. You know, I, I used to get it, um, it was like a, was Pakistani or Turkish hash with mm -hmm. opium in it, with like an opium wax. And, um, and I had bought like, I don't know, three or four pounds of it. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to Were you, that was just a prevalent in Princeton? No, no, it, it, it wasn't. That's why I had to buy quantities. So what I would do yeah, is I, yeah. would, I would save up, you know, literally a couple thousand dollars and, and go out and buy a large quantity of something and just keep it. I talked to a guy yesterday and this is what I'm going to, um, this is what Matt told me he used to do. And I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. Now I will check under my bed. I have a 13 year old and a 14 year old. He used to hide his stuff that he bought in quantities under his mother's bed, <laughs> under her mattress. That's great. And I said, that is so smart. These kids are so smart. And I said, because who checks under their own mattress? You're digging through all your kids' shit. You know, you're like in their backpacks and digging around the rooms. And, um, you know, I would never check under my, I will now. Not that I think mm -hmm. my kids will do that, but I'm, after doing snow babies, I'm not going to put anything past them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I didn't really hide mine. I just kept it in a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have a mom like my, my mom used to go in and like dig through my sister. My sister's six years younger than me and she gave her a run for her money. And um, my mom would go in there and just dig through all the stuff and get her tested. And mm -hmm. <laughs> my, it wasn't that my sister was that bad, but my mom did not mess around. Yeah. Well, I would do, I, I mean, I would put my, you know, like, like the stuff that I didn't want my mom to find in a drawer and, and, and like, like something like weed or something. I would just leave it on top of my dresser for her to find. So, so that's what she would find, and then she would stop looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if you're trying to hide it, she's going to dig through stuff. So she's like, oh, okay, you have it right here. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's just weed, and, you know. And I'm like, ah, oh, come on, try some. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, because she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't smoke it with me, but actually, it's kind of funny. My grandmother did, though. My grandmother was sort of weed. <laughs> At that age, they're like, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Yeah, she used to actually go to the islands just to, just for that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, she was pretty cool. I bet. Um, sounds like it. <laughs> so what other projects have you done? I, I know you do music also. I listened to a little bit of it. Yeah, it's definitely not heavy metal, but I do, I do appreciate I mean, I love heavy metal, and um, we. I, my music is – because I like everything, hip hop, you, mm -hmm. you, you name it. But for me, what I like to do is write songs with my guitar. So it's much more of that like kind of folksy country thing that I find I like to write about. So um, I started writing songs about, I guess about five years ago, four or five years ago. I had never done that before. And come to find out this guy this guy tells me, well, I would get up and sing sometimes when this, this guy named Dave would play uh, around town. And he said, there's a producer that uh, lives not too far, a town over from me, actually. And he was from uh, Nashville. He worked in Nashville for 20 something years and was a studio musician and uh, toured with Brad Paisley and a couple other, um, Joe Diffie, different country artists. And he had a recording studio. So I called Jim up and 
I said, I've never written songs before. I've never written music. I've never, I don't sing live too often. I'm kind of shy about it. And so he helped me produce the songs that I have on Spotify. And um, that was just really like helpful to me. And I actually reached out to him the other day because I said, I have a new song that I want to record. So it's just a great resource for me. We've become friends. He can play anything. He's so talented. <laughs> yeah, he's just awesome. I love hearing his stories about all the people he's met and played with. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah I, I love talking to musicians. Yeah, I just play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to play in a, in a band called the Scumbags. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> With a K? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was fun, you know, and, and I, was, I was lucky, too. Like, one of, the, one of the things that I did after I got sober is I used to hang out at a punk club in Trenton, New Jersey called City Gardens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was all ages, you know, the alcohol and stuff was in the back and in the front, you know, it was like whatever, you know, just kids and people, mm-hmm. you know, regular people and, um, going there all the time. Cause I, I used to live down the street from it and, um, I got to meet so many cool people. Like, I met like Soundgarden and Iggy wow. Pop and Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. Oh, wow. When was like, this? In the 90s or? Yeah, yeah. It was in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, like the first time I sound, saw Soundgarden, it was literally 10 people. <laughs> That's so <laughs> there, cool. You know, and uh, they were playing in um, uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania the following night. And they were like, you know, they were just giving out free passes because they wanted people to go see them. So, you know, we, we told them we would go and we went and we were on the guest list. And after that, every Soundgarden show I ever went to, I was on the guest list. <gasps> no way. Yeah. So did you, did you, so you got to meet Chris Cornell, obviously? Oh, yeah. I met the whole band. He's one of my, I, when I have to get into a dramatic scene or an emotional scene, I had to for Snow Babies a couple of times and I've had to do it. For some other stuff that I've done, I've listened to Chris Cornell. I listen to Audio Slave um, in my headsets to get into that mindset because it's just mm-hmm. so sad and haunting. And it doesn't help that he's also, you know, no longer here. So it makes it even more sad. Yeah. Yeah. I was really bummed out when he uh, committed suicide. Yeah. He was, I hate losing people like that. I love his cover of Patience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my husband and I went to a GNR concert. I guess it was seven years ago in Philadelphia. I don't know if you were there for that one, but a massive riot broke out because Axl Rose decided not to come out on stage. Oh, yeah. I think it was at that one, actually. I mean, they were playing Metallica <laughs> for like an hour and a half. We were on the floor. We were huge GNR fans. And um, we were so excited because we've never seen them. And but, I don't know if you remember, but yeah, like Metall- they were playing Metallica, so people were like rocking out because you're in mm-hmm. Philly, and if you have Metallica on, it's just like meditative music to them. Yeah. <laughs> and my husband looks over, and he goes, uh, they went from Axel to asshole, you know, like asshole, ass. So my husband looks over, and he goes, uh, that's not good. And there's one guy covering up the soundboard <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> with plastic. And um, I stand up, and I look up, and because we're on the floor, I look up and um, suddenly I get pelted so hard with something in my like leg. I'm like, oh my God, I'm hit. And somebody had thrown one of those <laughs> giant like plastic big gulp, you know, cups that they sell there. Yeah. Heavy from like the freaking top tier, threw it down. And then Carl goes, oh my God, we got to get the, you know, can I cuss? 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, he's like, oh my God, we got to get the fuck out of here. And I'm like, oh my. And then just, if you remember, like just chairs started flying. It was <laughs> complete mayhem. Yeah, yeah. A funny, like it, my, my first concert ride was at uh, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden in the Meadowlands. <laughs> and um, I think it was like, like during pre, I think my Maiden was headlining as sort of, you know, it was sort of like an equal show. Yeah. And um, they, people were shooting Roman candles off <laughs> at each other in the stadium. And, Just uh, brought kept, them with them. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, they kept, and then people started lighting the seats on fire. And um, and just you know, and eventually, like they just they turned the lights on and just stopped the show because they were worried about people burning down the stadium. That was happening during the show. Yeah, and and it just yeah, they turned off the sound, they turned on the lights, and then just complete chaos broke out. You know, people were people were just lighting everything on fire, and, and and it was just total mayhem. And then it was even worse, like in a parking lot, because people were lighting cars on fire. And yes, all this stuff. You and riot I was, mentality. I was like, Holy shit! And then the next night, <laughs> I'm I'm at home with my parents, and they have like the five o'clock news on, and you they show it. it, and they show it on the news. My mom's like, "Were you there?" And I was like, "Oh, it wasn't like that bad." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you, when you are, that's funny, at least, it, that would be so funny if you ran up to the TV camera and you were like, hell yeah, and you run off, <laughs> holding Roman candles. That wasn't me, mom. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Um, I think the riot, I mean, you, until you're in a riot, like when was I ever going to be in a riot? I mean, you never know, right? Right. Until you're in one, I mean, even I wanted to start like, it's this crazy mentality. You just get sucked into it. I mean, people started ripping TVs out of the private rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to get out of there and people are just carrying anything they can grab, just stealing whatever they can. And um, people, yeah, were walking out of the stadium with just chairs and you're right. The parking lot's what ba- is bad. You might, Carl goes, we got to get to the car because you just yeah. don't know what's going to go down. But everyone just, they used to act, start acting like wild animals. It is fun. It is. It's it is. I wanted to start stealing I, stuff. I, I, I was like, I, yeah. I enjoy it. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I saw another side of myself that I never thought I'd see. I mean, I didn't do anything or steal anything, but I was just like, for a second, I'm like, yeah. You know, you just get, it's this riot mentality. They say it's a group where you just, you know, start doing what everybody else is doing. It's crazy. Yeah. It is liberating. It's very liberating. Especially if you're a punk guy like you are. You're just yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, it's great. You know, and it's kind of funny because when we were having riots when the riots started again you know, like over all the racism stuff I was hanging out with some friends down here in Alabama and they were like talking about like how awful it was and I was like no man it's actually really fun <laughs> <laughs> and, and my wife like starts hitting me like shut up shut yeah up. you can't say but there we're having some in Philly right now it's just so dangerous you know it's like it's not, it's not good to see, but that, that GNR one was one for the books. I can't believe you were in one with Judas Priest. And I love how they actually brought Roman candles to the concert, just yeah, in case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people came prepared with fireworks for that show. <laughs> and, you can't do that now. And, and I think like the, the, after that one that you saw with Guns N' Roses in Philly, I believe the following night they played at the Meadowlands with Deep Purple and Aerosmith. And, um, I still I decided that, if you were at that one. And I was at that show, and um, 
and everybody was sort of like nervous whether Guns N' Roses was actually going to show up or not, you know. And, and, I mean, and, and they were like about, I think they were like, they weren't too bad. They were like maybe a half hour, 45 minutes late. And they put on like the worst show ever. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad, you know. It was just unbelievable. What was bad about it? Just Axel's voice was slashed yeah, on into could, it. You, like, you couldn't even really hear it. It was so muffled. Yeah. And, 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 and Axel was just being a dick and yelling at the crowd. He's a true rock star. Like, he doesn't care about losing money. Like, he does not yeah. care. I mean, he, I, have a, I knew a girl that did his hair. Like, she toured with him in Europe. And she was the hair person. And she would have to, like, braid his little strands of hair into the wig. And he would get kind of mad. And she's like, you have, like, four strands to work with here from your, from your scalp. <laughs> <laughs> and she, you know, he's all bloaty and just, you know, whatever. And she said he was such an asshole. And he ended up... Um, she got fired. She's like, I know it's because I couldn't get those, you know, the wig into his tiny little, you know, spares hairs. <laughs> 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 but you know, if you, if you meet Axel and he's an asshole, you kind of expect that. Yeah. I wouldn't take offense. That's funny. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. We veered off. <laughs> That's okay. I love talking music. I have like I, a, a more of a rambling type of podcast, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I listened to your pyramid one the other day because I'm always fascinated by that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, the, um, uh, Steve Myers. Yeah, he was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I do a lot of interesting stuff. Well, that's. I mean, that's what makes people so interesting is that, and we're all so similar too. You know, more similar than we are different. I think if you really get down to it, you start talking to people from all over. And it, like, it, just back to music, I mean, that's just something that just brings everybody together. Yeah. Just, you know, can change your mood and just, it, it's just, it's just such a, a godsend. To, I'm so grateful that I appreciate music. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you're familiar. Like I spent more than my share of time sleeping in front of the spectrum in Philadelphia. Well, I'm from Texas. So well, you would, oh, that's okay. So you did you go to Live Aid? Are you too young? I didn't go to Live Aid, no. My, my husband, um, I'm always, you know, I'm like, how did you not go to Live Aid or go into Philly to that scene? Because, you know, we listen to the Dead Milkmen and that old punk and they mm -hmm. talk about zipper heads and South Philly. And, oh, um, yeah, South Street. Yeah, and he's from Medford, which is kind of, you know, it was farm country mm -hmm. at the time, if you're familiar with that. Yep. And um, he's like, you know, Philadelphia was pretty, it's not like you just went into Philly back in that time in the 80s. And, um, but it must have been such a scene down there, that, that punk scene. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was great. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, so I've actually inter interviewed um, two other people who've made films in Philly recently. One was, uh, um, what's her Liz name? Priestley. Liz Priestley, who did mm -hmm. Concrete Cowboy. Yeah, and, and and I I didn't know how to handle that interview because I don't really know a whole lot about acting or making movies, so I had invited um, another person that I interviewed to kind of co-host. His name's Adam Lippy. Uh huh. And he made a movie called Wait Wait Don't Kill Me in Philly. Mm hmm. So, you know, and he it, apparently I wasn't aware of it, but you know. There's not a whole lot of movie making happening there. Like there's a, 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 only a little bit because of yeah. the, um, funding well, and tax stuff. Like, 
it's like this whole weird thing. The actor community seems to be kind of strange there too. Strained or strange? Strange. Like kind of <laughs> like divided almost. Like there's like almost like a racial thing going on with the acting community there. Oh, really? I don't know. Really? Yeah, that's what, what Adam said. I don't know anything about that. I mean, I just shot something. I can't talk about it because they, they made a sign an NDA. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a feature and it's shot in Philly. And I was working on it just a few weeks ago. It's a really good script. I'm super excited about it. Um, I think with Philadelphia sometimes, and I don't know, I'm not an expert on any of this, but the unions can be a little bit challenging with certain things. And I wish and I hope that the city supports filmmaking because it really does bring money into the city and there are uh you know philly's got such a great vibe to it and there are good actors in philadelphia and for me when i started acting about six years ago because i didn't i didn't really start until you know around that time i had to go into new york for everything because you're right there wasn't a lot in philly yeah yeah. adam got all his actors from he had like bust them from new york to philly Mm mm-hmm but the last two, I've been lucky to work in Philadelphia on two projects. So, um, you know, anything that we can bring into the city is good. And Liz Priestley, she's super sweet. She has the same. She's with CPM Talent also. And um, she, that's amazing that she got that part. You know, it was her first audition and she landed a role like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. She, she was a really good interview. She was fun. Like, I'm, I'm glad, though, I had Adam with me to really – he was able to ask questions that I would have never been aware of. Well, now, I mean, you could, it is, it's a whole different, it's so different. I mean, acting is, it was when I had to start, when I started auditioning and going into New York, it's like, yeah, just learning something that you don't really understand because you watch movies and films, but I mean, each time is a new experience. So there's a lot to, a lot to know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really, like, I know a lot of people that do like theater acting, but not movie acting, and they're completely different. Yeah, they are. I think being a theater actor would be, some, you know, really cool to be in front of an audience and get that feedback. I mean, I've done just like little tiny bit of theater, but um, to memorize all those lines and remember them each night, I don't know how they do that. It would make me so nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do that either. That, that always like blows me away. Like when I go to see like a Shakespeare play, and these people can remember these really long monologues. I guess it's like remembering songs. I'm always so impressed. Like someone like Dolly Parton, who's written so many songs, can remember all her words. And I'm always impressed by singers too that you know can can memorize all that stuff and remember it. I don't know. I think some they kind of do. Like I, I forget my own songs. That you've written. Over time. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I and, forget how and, to play them. And then I have to go back and read, learn my own stuff. <laughs> Fiona Apple, I heard her on an interview recently, and she said whenever, because she disappears for a long time and then comes back, and um, she was saying that she has to go back and relearn all of her songs again. And so I thought, oh, I guess everybody has to kind of do that. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're just never stopping. You know, like, like I doubt like Keith Richards ever forgets a song. Man, we walked into a bar in New York and he had just left. I mean, we walked in to Grosvenor's Park. <laughs> My husband and I always come in contact with like just crazy famous people in these random ways. Mm-hmm. And we walked in and um, they were like, Keith Richards was literally just sitting right there. And it wasn't busy. 
I'm like, dang, I would have so just gone up and sat right next to him, not to say anything, but not right next to him, but I would have sat two, you know, two seats down, but I would have, that would have been cool. It's like an iconic cool. person. <laughs> he is. You never have a chance. To, his book, Life, is awesome. I read that. Yeah. Did? I love that book. <laughs> I love, I love visualizing them. That whole generation just being in England at that time, just getting bombed and mm -hmm. trying to run around mines or just, you know, just shells and all. I mean, just the thought of what England must have been like at that time. And they were little boys playing. Yeah. In this war zone. Mm -hmm. The Edge talks about that too. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and then, like, what I like too is like when he's when they start touring in America, you know how he, he he's like you know like he's just hanging out and like um, like juke joints in the South and stuff. Like that. Mm -hmm. They were all in the South. That's where they all went and stole yeah. all that sound <laughs> um, and brought it back to England. They were all from that that school, right? Yeah. Eric Clapton. Um, it's amazing. Steve Winwood, even. I mean, all these guys, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of the nice things Went I will to, say. To the South. One of the nice things about playing the blues is pretty much every song is a 12-bar format, so you can't really forget them. <laughs> yeah. Jim, the guy that produces my music, he's like, every person that learns guitar all knows how to play the blues. It's like what you guys start playing right at the beginning. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. You know, it's, uh, that's why I like blues grass too it's got kind of that like you know they call it white man's blues you know just this poor comes from just poverty mm -hmm. there, did you see the movie on um that ken burns did country music no you should watch that because um and then um chuck d put on twitter you know everybody who loves music should watch this documentary <laughs> because it traces back you know from southern roots that old country and bluegrass and it all goes back to you know the slave days and the the blues during that time and it's just it was it's really good I, if you're a music lover you should watch it and chuck d said that yeah yeah chuck d said wow. he put it on twitter um it came out last year and he i love i'm a big public enemy fan but yeah he came out and he's like any music lover i forget what it said exactly but basically needs to watch this documentary hmm. because it just shows you how how connected music is it is yeah yeah, I saw actually, you know how you were talking. We were talking about Chris Cornell and Audio Sleeve. I saw uh, Chuck D with um, Prof, was Prophets of Rage. It was oh. audio, basically, you know Tom Morello and yeah. the band with Chuck D and Be Real at Whoa, the Stone I bet Pony. That was good. Oh, at the Stone Pony, you saw that? <laughs> yeah. When was that? Uh, I think it was. See, I've been here three years. I'm going to have to say maybe six or seven years ago. I bet that was a great show. So it was a small venue and you yeah. got to watch Tom Morello just kill yeah. it. Yeah, I, said, I was like right in front of him the whole time. It was amazing. Wow. Were you just staring at him? Like I always stare at their fingers, like how they're moving their hands. Yeah, yeah he, he's really good. Um, that was a lot of fun, that show. Um, My uncle... Yeah, it, Oh, and I've ahead. seen Public Enemy too, actually. That's pretty sweet. Um, that's really cool. My uncle, my uncle Terry, um, has been in the music business forever in LA, and he played with Eric Burton and the Animals for a long time. Whoa! And um, just has so many stories just from being in the Los Angeles music scene. And if you talk to people that um, music, I used to live in LA, and there were live bands sometimes or people doing acoustic, and I'd ask if 
they knew Terry Wilson and they all know each other. It's like this small little world in LA, these musicians, but um, yeah, he played with the animals, not when they did house of the rising sun that particular uh-huh. year, but he toured with them after that. And then just up until a few years ago, he was still touring with them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love the animals. They're like one of the first bands I started listening to. They, um, Bruce Springsteen says because of them, that's, you know, what made him the musician he is, is listening to the animals. They were such an influence to him. Wow. He has such a different sound though. They do. I guess it's his voice though that, that makes him different. Yeah. I'm always interested. I love listening to Howard Stern for that reason to hear these musicians talk about, you know, their influences and how they got started. It's so cool. Yeah. You know, like, like one of the things that also surprised me is like the band that influenced Nirvana was the Vaselines. I did not know that. I've never yeah. heard of the Vaselines. Yeah, and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're really different than what Nirvana sounds like. You know? <laughs> I think what the inspiration is, is even though, I mean, I'm definitely not that great of a songwriter, but I love uh, the, the music that I write isn't necessarily the music that, I've been inspired by, if that makes any sense. Like, mm-hmm. I think that if you're inspired by something, then it just kind of gets you your, you know, your creative, your creative thought going. So it doesn't necessarily have to match the sound. It's just you listen to something, and you're like, ah, oh, that's so cool. That's like, you can tell they wrote that from some passion, and it makes you put something down. And it may not come out the same way, but it's you know from that same kind of like vibe. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense. It does. I think, like, like for me, my, my biggest inspiration musically was probably Alice Cooper. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I like the theatrical villain role. Oh, you did. Yeah, he was definitely... And Iggy Pop, too. That's probably why you liked Iggy Pop. Yeah, I, I did like Iggy Pop until I saw him. And then he was... Because <laughs> I, I, I went to go see him one night, and the opening band came out and played... And they played like right from like nine to ten, and then I we had to sit there and wait until one o'clock. Three hours we sat there oh, waiting no. for Iggy, and by the time he came out, most of the people had left. And he came out, he played like three songs, yelled at the crowd, and left. That's not cool. <laughs> it was it's kind of cool, but I was kind of like I really wanted to see Iggy. <laughs> yeah, you wanted to see him come out, and I don't. It's like when we saw Tool and and Maynard had his back to the audience the entire time now he has this whole theatrical thing going i guess he's figured that out to entertain but in philly we saw him and he just had his and we love tool and had his back to the audience at the back of the stage Mm -hmm. and i'm like i don't need to sit there and watch i could listen to a record i don't have to pay you know to go just watch the guitarist and the bass player just stand there and play with him and you know behind a sheet at the back of the stage You, you have to be respectful of your audience Absolutely. People come to see a performance, you know, it's the whole difference between listening to a record and going to a show. Yeah. Right. You have to, and maybe you're wanting to make a statement, but don't make it on my dime. You know, don't make right. it on my dime or my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I will say at least, at least Alice Cooper, he didn't disappoint. I remember the, the, the night I got my drop day, I got my driver's license. It, I, I drove to the Tower Theater in Philadelphia and I saw Alice. <laughs> that is a great place to see him. I've, Tower Theater is great. And I'm sure Alice Cooper did not disappoint. You know, he had his makeup on. He had his hair done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut off his own head. 
<laughs> he did? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen him quite a few times since then, too. See, so that's like Ozzy. They put on a show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he does. I do think Ozzy needs to. I've seen Ozzy, I have to say, maybe 30 times. Wow. At least. <laughs> and um, the, the, the last few times, it was a little bit hard to watch. Yeah, because he's getting older. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just sort of fumbles around stage. His voice isn't good. He, he stops and, and, and like drinks tea. Sharon's putting him out there. She's like, let him, ret- let the man stop. Sharon's like, more money, Aussie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess he wants to do it too, but. Does he? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. But it, 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 was, it was tough to watch. The last time I saw him, the first time I saw him, um, it was actually like, it was Metallica and Ozzy in Philly. I think it was probably 1986. That's amazing. And, and, and even then, though, like, like Metallica was kind of better than Ozzy. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of disappointed. Because well, they're better, too. I mean, and, just, and like, then I saw Ozzy a couple more times, and it was, uh, you know, he was okay. And then when they, I went to go see him in Philly again, and uh, it, was this, it was with Sepultura and Danzig. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and Ozzy came out, and he was doing uh, so-so, and then somebody threw a big ass joint on the stage and he picked it up and he smoked the joint. And after that, he totally kicked ass. Like it was like the real Ozzy oh, partway yeah. through the show. He said, you know what? Fuck this. And, and then he started playing like old Sabbath stuff. Like, wow. The stuff that really like, not, not like the like paranoid, like the real Sabbath stuff, like from like volume four and sabotage and, Mm-hmm. And it was just totally incredible. He was somebody threw a brawl on the stage. He was wearing a brawl on his head. It, it was just it was classic Ozzy. Like like yeah. that was the Ozzy that I wanted to see. You know, I think that relaxes them. I mean, I think that that probably that's why a lot of them had so many drug problems, right? Yeah, because <laughs> they were able to go out and tap into. My, we were just talking about this the other day. They were able to tap into different places because they were relaxed from being so messed up. And, um, you know, you're really vulnerable when you put yourself out there in front of an audience. And mm-hmm. that vulnerability kind of goes away when you're just completely out of your mind on something because, you know, your inhibitions are out the window. Yeah. So it's a shame that you get a lot of those great performances and those musicians and that music, but it had to come from them having to just completely abuse themselves. Well, I mean, I think they can do it. I, I, I think like what happens with musicians is they look at it either two ways. Either I'm going to go out there and do whatever the hell I want, or I'm going to go out there and I'm going to stick to the, the routine. Yeah. You know? but, but I do think there is a middle way that that's a lot of performers do find eventually. They do. You know, that, that between improv and having fun and sticking to the, you know, the, whatever songs you have lined up and then just kind of feeling off. I think Pearl Jam's probably like, I think they can find a way to you're right. Improv where they're feeling the crowd. Like, okay, this crowd seems to respond more to this rock or to, to the sound. And then they can kind of change the song a little bit. Mm-hmm. The song list. And that's exciting too, because then, you know, they're not playing the exact same thing at every show. Yeah. That you feel like you're getting something a little bit special. Yep. Yeah. And, I, and I've also seen, Black Sabbath and probably almost every carnation with every singer they ever had. 
I've seen them with Ozzy. I saw them with Dio. Saw them with Glenn Hughes. Well, you were in a good place because you a lot of people came through. Yeah. New Jersey and Philadelphia and New York. So you were in a really good place to see all these concerts and see yeah. all these uh, musicians. I miss with, seeing that. I saw them with Ian Gillen from Deep Purple. Oh, wow. I think I saw them with, uh, I think, um, it may have been Coverdale. We've done a couple shows with them. I don't know. I saw so many. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have all your ticket stops? I don't. All that stuff kind of got lost um, from moving and yeah. stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't have them. I don't know what happened to them. The one thing I do have is I have uh, Geezer Butler's autograph. Who's Geezer Butler again? He's the uh, bass player from Black Sabbath. Oh, okay. All right. You got that. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't get it from him. It was just luck. I had a friend who was a luthier and he was fixing like, somebody's guitar and the guitar was signed by all the members of Black Sabbath. And, and I don't know what he did, but somehow he ended up buffing out the names. What? Yeah. And um, so he had to get the guitar re-signed by Black Sabbath. So he knew enough people to get backstage and stuff. And I threw like a, a, a Black Sabbath CD in the case with the guitar. Yeah. And when he got the guitar back, I got, took the case out and, you know, Geezer Butler had signed it. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Good for you. So I got lucky on that one. You must have been super psyched. Yeah, it was cool. You um, know, um, I was at Red, we went to Red Rocks. Our friend Steve worked for um, Vans, not Vans, um, Airwalk. And so he would get these different concert tickets for free when we lived in Colorado. And he got us tickets to Slayer at Red Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and we had these passes. He gave us these passes. And so um, my husband and I, we went back to go with our passes. And the guy's like, you got your pass? You got your badges? You know, we kind of flashed our badge. And they were like, this way, this way, this way. And so we're just kind of following, you know, going at this point, you know, we're on the side of the stage at Red Rocks. So we're following this hallway around. And someone's like, okay, that way, that way, that way. So then we go around and we realize we're now facing the audience at Red Rock. So we're like, oh my God, we're like so far backstage right now. This is crazy. So they bring us around. I don't know if they thought we were somebody else or what happened because we didn't have that important of passes. They ended up, they put us right on the side of the stage, like at the edge of the stage on the side for Slayer. Wow. <laughs> and we were like, this is so cool. And they were all wearing Airwalks, like white Airwalks because that's, you know, Steve's company was sponsoring their shoes. Mm -hmm. And um, I lasted about... 15 minutes. I was, it was like 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, I'm so deaf right now. I can't handle this anymore. <laughs> but just to, to look out to Red Rocks and get that, that bird's eye view of what they see was so cool because it's such a famous venue. Yeah. And, you know, to be on the side of just, they were, you know, and they're older now, but they were rocking out. And we still laugh about that. We're like, that time we ended up backstage with Slayer. That is really cool. Yeah. It was, that was awesome. They're just still rocking, but that was a while ago. I don't know if they're still rocking now. No, they, they actually just did their last show last year. They did their, it was in Tennessee. It was like the Six 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 Festival. Of course. And um, <gasps> my, my nephews wanted to go. Like we were going to go to it, but the uh, the prices were just ridiculous. It was like three hundred dollars for the ticket. And, and then, like, lodging or, or getting a spot in a campground, 
you know, it was like thousands of dollars. So oh, <laughs> we were just, I mean, yeah, we can't yeah, do it. no, because you're not guaranteed it's going to be fantastic. And I mean, we saw them 17 years ago and they were, they were still rocking, but I mean, it's been 17 years. <laughs> so yeah. They, yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's hard, crazy. It's, it's hard to play that fast as you get older. It is. I mean, I just think your motor skills aren't as what they used to be. <laughs> Unless I you're know. Eddie Van Halen, who was still playing so amazingly well in Philadelphia with Van Halen, like, what was it, like seven years ago, six years ago? It's mm-hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. Like, but you do change. I, I know I can't. I used to really rely on speed. I can't play that way anymore either. And, um, and, I, and now I, I can't rely on speed anymore. So... I've had to like change basically the style of music I play. <laughs> I can't yeah. see the music. I play piano and I'll try to see the music and then I have to put my readers on and then I'm not used to having readers on for music and then I can't see my key. It's crazy. <laughs> like, this is so depressing. Because <laughs> you know a piano player, you can, because they always have to have their music. Mm-hmm. If you give a guitar player music, they can't play music. Right. Yeah. I I mean, I I never had to really look at music. I've never really like I know how to read it and stuff like that. But but with guitar, it's a little different. Yeah, you don't need it as much. Well, it's also the the same note appears in multiple places on the guitar, and that's where I think reading music throws guitarists off. At least it has me. I last year, year and a half ago, I started taking guitar lessons because I I can read music just from piano. And I wanted to learn the guitar the right way. So I taught myself how to play guitar and then took some lessons just to clean that up. But I wanted to really understand what mm-hmm. I was playing because I had no idea. And it's fascinating. It was cool. I, you know, you're right. It's all these different, you know, the just, I don't know. It was confusing at first. It, it is because of that, that, that re, the repetitions of the same yeah. note. Um, like, I think with guitar, it's more important to know your theory. Right. Behind Yeah. It. If you know the theory behind it, you know, then you can kind of get past it. True. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I was proud of myself, though. I thought, now I understand this instrument. I mean, but it took time. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a lot of, like, like piano is very learning. linear. So it's, I think yes. it's a little bit, it's linear. You have your octaves. It's very big. Yes. You know, it, it makes very logical sense. Where a guitar, especially in standard tuning, is just like, what? <laughs> yeah, the A. And, and then I would get so frustrated. I'm like, God, this is so hard. Plus the coordination of just picking because I wanted to learn how to really pick really well. Um, that's, you know, and then to read the music. So he would write it out like music and then I would play it. And it's just memorizing the notes and the chords and the strings and all that. It was, it was, it was making my brain work. It, it probably would have been easier if I learned that younger, mm-hmm. but it definitely makes your, I could see how it helps out your cognitive thinking. It's a lot of thinking. Yeah. yeah you know, I think it did help me too as a kid because I was dyslexic and learning to play guitar really helped me cope with, with that. Cause after oh, I le- yeah, cause, cause it required, you know, this, that coordination exercises. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's totally cool. Um, so, so have you done any other movies? Yes, I have. Um, I've been working on a show that'll be on Netflix that should be coming out next year. Oh, great. Um, that's 
that we shot one day for that and then COVID happened. So um, I'm super, it's a Netflix, Netflix limited series about a um, iconic fashion direct, uh, designer played by Ewan McGregor. So I'm super excited about that project. And, um, and then we shot that one in Philadelphia. And so I have, um, you know, it, it's nice to see auditions happening again and production starting up again because yeah. we didn't know when that was ever going to happen again. Yeah. Oh, it's either that or they have to change the way they're making movies. Um, yeah, and they are. They're having to get a COVID rep and just make sure that everybody's safe. Mm-hmm. I have a friend in Australia who made a movie and everybody just shot their scenes on iPhones and sent them to him and then he just edited them together. That's so creative. That's a creative way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. He I'll, probably I'll, gave them instruction on how to record it and mm-hmm. what kind of lighting. But how would the lighting match? That's crazy. Well, I, I think he's just able to adjust the lighting on when they're doing the editing process, you know, just adding contrast to it. I mean, you had to really, I was lucky enough in January before COVID happened, I invested in a little studio set in my, in my house, just with some lights on Amazon. They were, they're so much more expensive now, mm-hmm. but um, because we were, I was taping more auditions. So you audition for things that are throughout the country and I'm, I'm lucky enough to have some agents that represent me in different markets. So I was starting to do a lot more tape auditions. So I had a so that because now you can't go into casting companies or casting offices and audition anymore it's all on tape yeah is is, is that different like like doing an audition you know in front of a camera rather instead of in front of a person i think what so i get so nervous i don't know if i would be nervous now because i booked some good stuff so my confidence is at a good place but you put so much pressure on yourself you know, you drive to New York, you're exhausted when you get there because just New York itself, you know, could be stressful. And um, you've memorized your lines and you go into a little tiny room with a casting director who can, who's books everything, you know, these are mm-hmm. big casting directors. It's like not an amateur situation. And so I would get really nervous sometimes and I don't think I would do my best auditions, but, but many of them would call me back over and over again. Like even if I wouldn't book, they would call me back in for another part. So now, um, when we have to self-tape, I can choose my best take and send it to them. So that's a benefit because you can really lay down your best work. But on the other hand, you can't get face-to-face with them or in person. And that's how you develop those bonds. Yeah. I imagine like, like, I think like casting directors know how to see past that nervousness, nervousness and and are able to, you know, almost like sense a person's character. They, I, I agree with you. And they really want to be able to get a feel for you. So luckily, I mean, it's hard. I can't even imagine now if you're just starting out or trying to um, find work. These ca- a lot of these casting directors don't know you. They, they're not going to put you on a set if they feel like they can't trust you. So you really do need to get in them. You know, they need to feel your vibe, right? Because yeah. they are putting, you're going to represent them when you show up on set in front of some pretty famous people sometimes or people that have been around for a long time. And you're representing them. And they may not, they didn't get a feel for you. They didn't know because they haven't met you in person. Even though you have a great audition, um, it can be challenging if you don't have stuff on your resume or your reel to show that you've worked. 
mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. So I think it's going to be a little bit harder, but people can, you know, you can, you can overcompensate though. That, that if they want to meet, if they like your audition, they, they'll have a call back and they'll have a Zoom session and then you can talk to them that way. And you can still get a feel from someone with their mannerisms and stuff. I suppose, you know, I still, when I talk to people on Zoom, I don't feel as connected as I do in person. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. So, so if you were to choose, like, a role that you wanted to play, like the ultimate role, what would it be? <laughs> um, I would love to do a comedic role, something that's really funny, that makes people laugh because all the stuff that I do is pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. That's a hard question. I mean, I was just lo- I love the roles that I have so far because they're all so different. Mm-hmm. But just something comedic that really makes people laugh. I would love to do that. Yeah, you know, you you are pretty funny. Like I could kind of see you like in a bad mom role. Yeah, <laughs> I am know? funny, and I never get those opportunities to. Um, Sometimes I send in auditions that I don't think are supposed to be funny, like the character, I, I, but, I, but they make me laugh, like my facial expressions and stuff. So I'll just send it in. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, that's funny. Carl, Carl, my husband's like, I love the way you laugh at what you're doing. I'm like, is that's funny? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are very funny. And I was really surprised, like, when I, because when I, you know, I always her those trailers and stuff, and, and I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. And, and, and you're really easygoing and funny and, um, you know, you're, you're, you're good at sort of like improving on the conversation, you know, talking about anything. It's, it's really kind of cool. Thank you. I think that's from bartending for a long time. Oh, yeah, um, that'll do it. Because you can just talk to anybody. But, yeah, I mean, I, I need to get something on my reel that – and when you have a reel, like, so if you, have, you have little snippets, you have clips – so your agent, when they send in your, your stuff, you, they can send a clip that goes with that character. So say there's a comedy that they're casting in New York. Mm-hmm. Well, then my agent would send in a clip of me doing something funny. And um, I don't have that. <laughs> so they're not going to know that about me. Um, so that's something that I, I – that's, that's something. You just reminded me that's like something I need to do. Yeah, I definitely think you'd be fantastic in a comedic role. Thank you. I think so. I, you should become my comedic agent. <laughs> I need you to pitch me. <laughs> you got it. In fact, if somebody needs you in a comedic, comedic role, just send them this episode. <laughs> I will. Or if you come across somebody that's, uh, that's casting, now that you're delving into film knowledge, <laughs> yeah. you never know connections. It's all about who. I had no connections, by the way, getting into this. That's the, so don't, people don't think that you have to know someone or have someone in the industry because that's not true. Really? I, I, well, I don't know. I, I didn't. I, I, like, I know like, like, like with music, I did have to network. But. Well, you have to network, but you can start from nothing. I mean, you can start. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you of definitely. course have to. I had to network in New York. Yes, yeah, so you have to network. But, you know, you don't have to have an initial connection of someone that's like, oh, I know this casting director. Or I know this producer or director. You don't have to have that. It makes it easier. And I would have loved to have had that but you can do it without that. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I, I would say there's two things. Like one is you'd be surprised that what people will just talk to you, you know? Yeah. You know, you, I think people look at celebrities or whatever, like, Oh my God, that person will never talk. Oh, guess what? They're, they'll talk to you. <laughs> you know, they're so if, down if to they're earth. cool. 
you know, yeah, I mean, so, some won't, some won't, but, but, but most will. And the other thing is too, is like just meeting regular people that are in that particular field. Uh, you don't know which ones are going to become successful. You know, like when I saw Soundgarden with 10 people in a room, I had no idea that they'd end up being one of the biggest bands ever. Right. Yeah. You know? And then you, you sometimes see people, it's like when you go down to Nashville, you're like, how are these people not super famous? You never know who is going to make it and who isn't. Chris Cornell was so good looking though. There was no way he wasn't making it between that, bo- <laughs> between that voice and how he looks. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. There's just like, no way. He, of course, I love the audio slave documentary too, where the, the dude that's the drummer mm-hmm. on that documentary. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Came out quite a, did you, did you say you did it? No. Yeah, it's good. Um, but the drummer, they were down in Cuba and he's like, I just like to, I mean, the two things that I fucking like to do is ride fucking bikes and fucking rock. <laughs> <laughs> and he was all into riding, you know, like, I don't know if it was a BMX or what, just riding bikes. He likes to travel with his bike. We still, we, uh, my husband and I still say that to one another. We're like, two things we like to do is ride bikes and rock. <laughs> um, and he's like, and I figured it out. I figured that shit out. You know, and he did. He like figured out how to do his two things. And all that dude talked about was just riding bikes and rocking. I, I get that. You know, I do too. I mean, it's so I, I, simple. I, I don't ride bikes, but you know, I still, I still go to shows. I still, like, the biggest thing I miss since this COVID thing is, is, is just not being able to go to shows. I went know? to a, the doctor on Tuesday for just a physical and he's super nice. And he goes, my favorite, my wife's and I, wives and I, wife's, what is it? Wife's, is it wife's? <laughs> my wife and I's favorite thing to do is to go to concerts and travel and he goes and we just we go to concerts all the time together and we haven't been able to do that and um Mm -hmm. you know i said oh that's that's so sad because that's like their bonding thing and he goes we were we were planning on going to red rocks and he said and we we go to she's a huge dave matthews fan and you know they're kind of into those jam bands and he said it's just so sad that we can't they have two little kids and that was their way to escape was to go to concerts and that's how they bonded when they met and I feel so bad for musicians right now that cannot tour. All of them can't. I mean, I, I can't even imagine not being able to do that if that's what you do for a living. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's been brutal. Um, I mean, actually, Samantha Fish is playing down here next week. I'm thinking about going to. I have a podcast scheduled for that day that I might try to reschedule just to go. Yeah, go support her. It's outside. No, it's inside. Oh, yeah, y'all are different down in the south than you are up here. We are here. Yeah, people here don't really care. I know. I was in Texas, and um, it's yeah, it's a little different. We're pretty pretty careful up here. Yeah, I think because we got hit so hard at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, here's just, I, you know, people are not sure. They, they question what to believe and what not to believe. Mm-hmm. based on, on a lot of it's based on politics right so uh, I hear you. it's kind of like whatever you know i just want to go the other thing i miss too is, is theater because i'm actually a really big fan of live theater you know i love uh, going to see plays oh that's so cool you know like when princeton i used to live we used to go to a place called the carter theater mm-hmm. they had like tons of great plays and um so we used to go there and down here there's like a small theater house too but you know it's been closed ever since 
COVID hit, so we haven't been able to. Because normally I would just buy like season passes and just go to all the all the plays. Me and my wife. And you haven't, yeah. I feel so bad for them. Yeah. So it's like you know that was like our thing, you know, either go go out to eat, go to a play, or go out to eat and go to. Play, to show. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's nice. I, hopefully, that comes back around sooner than later. I, I mean, it's probably going to be a while. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yep. So, um, what else do you have going on? You have this one thing that you can't talk about. Mm-hmm. You got some new music coming out. Well, you have to record that. Um, and then the Netflix show. Netflix show. We'll start shooting that again so i'm super excited about that and um but i can't really i can't talk about who my husband is in the show because they haven't released his name but he's somebody who's been around for a long time and he's very nice Uh like what you were saying people that they're just really really regular people i haven't come in contact with anyone that i've worked with that was rude or mean you know it's 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 nice they're just like everyday people they're just it's their job yeah 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 the only only actor that I would say I do not like because of the way they act around people is Ethan Hawke. Can't okay. So him. I, well, I met, I've met Ethan Hawke and, um, but, but as a regular person. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, I used to work for the car shows, like for Mitsubishi traveling around for the auto shows. Okay. And, uh, I had, and, but then I also ran a promotional staffing company. So we staffed marketing events throughout the country. So I had started that back in Oh four. So I was, one of my clients was Dunkin' Donuts. So I was in New York and I had a Dunkin' Donuts shirt on and driving a Dunkin' Donuts van and passing out samples, just, you know, setting up, you know, Dunkin' Donuts little things at different places in New York. But at the same time, I had to go in and interview to be, to work for Mitsubishi in the auto show, if you could follow any of this. (laughs) So the, the interview is taking place at the Omni Hotel. I'm in a Dunkin' Donuts outfit. And I come out of the um, interview. It's on like the 10th floor, 11th floor or something. Um, and I, the elevator door opens and, it, and I walk in and I bang so hard into the sky, like boom. I, I mean, you know when you think you're on the ground floor and you get off uh-huh. the elevator? Okay, so it's that thing. We hit each other so hard and I look up and that was Ethan Hawke. <laughs> and, when I, and when I got my bearings... And he got his bearings. I looked at him. He's tall too. I'm 5'10". He's like 6'3", 6'3 and a half. I go, oh my God, you're Ethan Hawke. And he goes, yeah, I, I am. And then I had to get back on the elevator with him and I'm wearing a Dunkin' Donuts shirt and I just faced the wall. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I grew up with the guy, you know. And he goes, how, how was your day? And I said, it's pretty good. I had an audition and he goes, you did? How did it go? And I go, fine. I gave them donuts. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, well, I hope that worked for you. I'm like, thanks. And I just got off the elevator and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> but so, he's so cute. Uh, I don't like him. You know, he was he, very he, nice. He's actually from my old neighborhood where I grew up. Yeah, okay. Up. So you know him personally. And um, he was a bit of a bully. He was? Other, yes. He was a bully. And, you know, it was the one night that he was picking on somebody I knew. And, you know, well, you know, he was just being an ass. And then also another Ethan Hawke story I have is he went to Brown and uh, he, he shared a room with one of my friends. And my friend had a girlfriend. And my friend came 
back to his room and found Ethan Hawke in bed with his girlfriend. No. And then Ethan Hawke threw him out the window. <laughs> oh, my so. God. That is crazy. <laughs> well, I think he was with his nanny or something, right? It cheated on Uma Thurman or something happened with that. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't, I don't want to get in trouble for that. But I remember there were some, you know, stories going around. Yeah. I have a friend, actually, another friend who actually got slapped by Uma, Th- Uma Thurman in a bar. That's a big slap, I bet, because she's tall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently, he was uh, breaking up with his girlfriend, and Uma Thurman was at the table next to him, and he turned around and said something to her, and she <laughs> slapped him. That is hilarious. She just slapped him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was this before or after... Um, what you call it, that movie when she was the karate person? Uh, it would have been, I think it might have even been Doring, actually. Yeah, she had It, it was skills. right around that time. She had some skills then. She was in training. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so, he, he, you know, for him it was a compliment. <laughs> like, yeah, I, mean, I got slapped by Uma Thurman. <laughs> yeah, she's so cute and so pretty. Oh, my gosh. I, I haven't seen her in a long time, though. Their daughter know. is on Stranger Things. Really? Uma Thurman's and Ethan Hawke's daughter play is the new character on Stranger Things this season three. I haven't and seen. And she kind of looks like three. her dad. She's cute. I'll have to watch it. I watched yeah, she's one cute. and two. I yeah. didn't know there was a season three. I don't know how they could do one that makes sense. It, it's pretty far fetched. I enjoyed it because I love Winona Ryder, um, but I, I enjoyed the season. Some people said it was a little too out there, but and you know what's cool is um, you'll appreciate this being from New Jersey. The kid, um, Gaten, with the, um, he has the curly hair on Stranger Things with the no teeth. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Gaten Maserati or something. He was the busser this summer at a restaurant right around the corner from us on LBI. He bussed tables. Really? Yeah, like he's so down to earth. He's from this, um, uh, Tucker in New Jersey he talks about that and um, somebody went in they were like oh my god Gaten bust our table last night and I guess his brother works there too but isn't that cool his parents like you know he's young yeah. his parents like he went he went and worked because he, he all of his production was shut down I didn't know he was from Tucker that's where my brother lives oh yeah so that hmm. yeah he's from there and he worked at um he worked at a restaurant right around the corner from us. We never saw him, but everybody kept seeing him and he was trying to be low key and people would ask for his picture. And he's like, no, I'm not supposed to take any pictures. <laughs> they said he was super sweet and just busting tables. Yeah. I know he plays in a band too. Yeah. He's just a local, you know, Jersey kid. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. I mean, I think he thought he could get away with it. If by wearing a mask, the people recognized him because of his eyes, you know, and his hair. <laughs> yeah, you can't hide that hair. <laughs> no, no. And it's just, he's just adorable. I just thought, what a good, what good parents he has. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like again, you never know. You just don't know who you're going to talk to. No, you never know who you're going to run into. Nope. And it can happen anywhere. Um, I had a friend run into, oh, who was it? I think it was Bob Ware from The Grateful Dead. I wouldn't even know what he looked like. Was he wearing little tiny short shorts denim? I don't know. Was that the giveaway? I don't know how he, but he ran into him in Princeton. (laughs) 
<laughs> Apparently, his, his kid was going to Princeton University. <laughs> and he ran into Bob Weir. I was listening yeah. to Chris Robinson on Howard Stern from the Black Crows. Mm-hmm. And um, he was saying how he wasn't a dead fan. And he goes, it's just, you know, my thing was not like listening to guys that had short denim shorts on, <laughs> cutoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a great description. He's like, now I totally appreciate it. But at the time, no, we, you know, I was not into the to the dead <laughs> when, it, when he was going when he was growing up and i just yeah. I thought that was so funny yeah it, it did, I, I mean i still don't really listen to a lot of the dead i'm actually more of a i like fish probably a little bit more but. i was talking to someone the other day a podcaster and he's like i hate their song we were talking about fish he's like i hate their song and i'm like well which song? And he goes, just the song. It's just all one big fucking song. <laughs> but you, you have to see those bands live to appreciate them. I lived in Colorado know? in the 90s. I saw them a lot. Yeah. And like when I saw them, I was like, ah, they're pretty good. And the same thing, like, like not that long ago, the last concert I probably went to was Dave Matthews. And it was something like my wife and, and our boss wanted to go, me to go. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll go. It's, it's a show. But I was never really a Dave Matthews fan, you know. But then I went and saw him live. And I was like, it's pretty good. He is. He is you know? good. I was like, wow, you know. And, and, and he doesn't take himself like that seriously. He doesn't. Because cause I always thought of him as like sort of a, I don't know, like, like a wimpy version of Peter Gabriel. You did? And, yeah, because he sounds like Peter Gabriel to me. And then yeah. when I went and saw him live, he did Sledgehammer. Oh, no way. So maybe he's been told that. He knows that. Yeah, and that, and that won me over. That's cool. Yeah, he's in on the joke. Yeah. Um, but it was just a live thing. You know, like, like if I listen, even like now, if I listen to him, his records, I'm still like, oh, okay. It kind of puts me to sleep. But the shows are great. They are. Yeah. He's got a lot of energy. Yeah. And the crowd has a lot of energy. It just doesn't come really through in his recordings, I don't think. Which is, that was Peter Frampton's problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him too. He said he was great live, but just couldn't translate over on the records. Yeah. I saw Peter Frampton at Cooper River in New Jersey. Yeah. He played there on the 4th of July one year. Yeah, they have concerts there. They have, yeah. some, pretty, they have some pretty big names that come through um, at the Cooper River. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what they'll do this summer. Maybe that, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, I used to always go there on the 4th of July and they'd have the, the bands play and then the fireworks. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good place to be. There's so much to do here. Yeah, I saw Peter Frampton there. I saw Pat Benatar there. Oh, no, no, I saw no, Pat Benatar. She she performed at the. Have you heard of the? Um, oh my God, it's in Collingswood, New Jersey, and it's super small. Scottish Rite, the Scottish Rite Auditorium. No, I've never been there. R R I T E Scottish Rite, and we saw um, Leslie. Who's from Mountain? Oh, Leslie West. Yeah, we saw Leslie West. And we saw um, the cult, and we saw Pat Benatar. 
Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, they had these just random times where they had these bands. And Pat Benatar was like making eye, eye contact with me and singing with me. I was like, <laughs> she knows how to work the crowd. And we were she down does. by stage. And I'm like, right? And she sounds great. And Neil Girardi was obviously there. But she, um, you know, she's singing Heartbreaker. And we're just singing to each other. I mean, she just knows how to work it. She was fantastic. Yeah, she was actually, I, I, I was really surprised too, like that the energy she has at, at her age. I was like, wow. You so know? much energy. I, I, I didn't really have high expectations and I was blown away by it. Oh, I love, I love Pat. And the cult was good too. Yeah, they're a great band. I That's think one of my favorites. They've always been, I think, underrated. I agree. You know, they should it, be on like the Hall of Fame or I mean, the um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're so good. And, and they've also influenced a lot of bands, like like, like Soundgarden, for instance. Like, I, I, you know, when I first heard Soundgarden, I thought, oh, they kind of sound like the Cult. Yeah, the Cult is fan. I listen to the Cult radio station a lot on Pandora, they, and Spotify. They, they're so good. His voice was great, and just, just great guitar. I, I, the Cult was cool, and it was so cool how he had that fur coat, you know, on the record, mm-hmm. long hair and that fur coat. <laughs> just cool, cool look. I wish I could still walk around like that. I know. I, I you don't see rockers walking around like that anymore. No, no. They should. I mean, it was part of the show. Now I look at this up myself in the mirror, and I'm like, "Who is that guy?" That's what we're all doing. <laughs> like, what happened to me? I have no more street credit. <laughs> <laughs> you should just start walking around like that. Every now and then you'll see someone. We saw someone the other day. The guy was like a total rocker. He was driving um, this old beat up car. I'm pretty sure it was his girlfriend's. And he was probably like 43, 44. But he had like dyed kind of rocker hair, like punk hair. He's mm-hmm. like smoking a cigarette. He cut us off like four times on the street. He, just, <laughs> he was like, just, and we were cracking up. We're like, this guy is still living the dream. Like he had a leather jacket on. I mean, everything about him. But, you know, he's past his prime. But he didn't yeah. care. <laughs> That's great. He's driving just the, the biggest beater you've ever seen. So, you know, he's not someone. Like uh-huh. if you saw him just walking around, you'd be like, that guy's somebody. But then, you know. He gets in his car and you're like, that guy's nobody. <laughs> Which happens in LA when you live out there, you're at the coffee bean and the guy in front of you is like beautiful. You're like, oh my God, he's so famous. He's got to be. And then he gets out, you walk out with him and he gets in the worst piece of junk you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you got your looks. That's good. You, you learn a lot of my people by just their cars. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then my husband goes, wouldn't that be so cool if he was like just actually really a, a famous rock, you know, a famous guitarist in a band and he just drives around in that, like that, that's his thing. Yeah. And I said, that's hilarious. You never know. Like what if he was somebody that was like that and just drove around in an old beater? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You don't. Have you, have you watched Cobra Kai on Netflix? No, I would no? like to. It, one of the funny things is the guy drives around in his old beat-up car. Johnny? <laughs> yeah. The, the, um, the guy the who... Had, the, the blonde guy. Yeah, Johnny. And, Johnny, and it's uh, just, yeah. It's just funny. He drives around in his old beat-up car and he's drinking beer. <laughs> smoking <laughs> yeah they made him not and he was so healthy in karate kid yeah it was, and they it's, it's made him really hysterical <laughs> i do want to see it i'm a big karate kid fan 
Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's pretty funny and it laughs at itself, you know, it's really good. You know, Ralph Macchio is even kind of funny. Yeah, he's, I mean, that guy's in on the joke too, I'm sure, of himself. Yeah. <laughs> he's super sweet. He's always, I had posters of him on my wall. He, he always is in my, he, you know, he was like 30 when he did Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't that old, but I mean, he was in his late 20s. <laughs> and he looked so young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it used to be like a sort of inside joke with my friends. Like we would sit around watching movies and any, anybody who like looked like remotely like Ralph Macchio, like, oh, it's Ralph Macchio. <laughs> Italian, anybody who was Italian. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's Ralph Macchio. <laughs> <laughs> or or then like somebody like who looks nothing like him, we'd be like, oh, it's Ralph Macchio. <laughs> so did you go to school in Princeton were you in like so you probably went to school with all that whole scene was it like um I didn't go to Princeton High I went I lived just outside so I ended up I had to go to I went to Montgomery High what uh what town or were you would was just outside Rocky Hill oh yeah okay or like North Princeton Uh (laughs) sometimes referred to it's so pretty out there though it is pretty. It's very expensive. Like, like one of the reasons I moved is because of the taxes. Yeah, yeah. Like our so taxes expensive. were like twelve thousand dollars. So I was like, oh. that's low. <laughs> right? From where where I'm at, that's low. Twelve <laughs> thousand. Yeah. Wow. New Jersey taxes are out of control. Our like, taxes like, in Denver were like twelve hundred a year. You know what my taxes are in Alabama? Six hundred. Four hundred. Yeah. Six hundred, yeah. and I have like a house that's twice as big <laughs> right yeah i know it's so expensive here it's crazy like why are we living here but our kids love it and they you know we have a good school system and we're near philly you know we're only like eight minutes from philadelphia in new york and mm-hmm. <laughs> isn't very far so i like the location yeah well it's kind of funny like where i live in alabama oddly enough there's actually a movie scene so if you ever i mean in, in, in the town of Fairhope, they've made uh the movie get out the horror movie oh yeah um, there was a movie with um, oh, the girl from Fifty Shades of Grey, Dakota Johnson. Yeah, she made a movie here called uh, The Friend. Um, yeah, they're starting to really venture out and do films in different cl- parts of the country. Close Encounters was filmed here. Oh, okay, it's good so, trivia. Yeah, yeah, I live like right down the road from the close, close Encounters house where the oh, kid wow. opens the door and the light shines in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, I was a little surprised when I moved yeah. here to find out that so many movies were actually made in this little town. Um, I know, yeah. You Well, where, well Alabama is hot, but yeah. you have really good food. You have good food, yeah. And, and we have... Ashore, which a lot of people don't realize, we have actually have really beautiful yeah, they beaches. Yeah, really pretty beaches. Birmingham's really pretty. Yeah, I've been I've driven through Dude. Birmingham on my way to Tennessee. It's super cute, I think. Um, uh, how is it? Oops. What are, I you doing? I had are you making I breakfast? I had- what uh am i no my husband just walked in to eat lunch ah lunch <laughs> hello yep you're back yeah no yeah i'm here oh okay <laughs> I just, you know, 
well, so when when will your so your show airs every week? No, I, I every day, but um, about fifteen days ahead. Okay. So it'll be out in about two weeks. I will email you the links and everything in the morning. I post. Okay. Well, yeah, this, um, I've got another podcast at one. Um, Steve keeps me busy. Steve Joyner, he's super sweet. Yeah, he's a good guy. I got to call <laughs> him later. A, he's such a good guy, and um, he's so nice. And he's just, I've, I have met the nicest people from all over the country uh, since I started doing podcasts, and I was so nervous about them at first. But you guys are so professional, done such a good job of um, asking questions and just really good conversationalists. So I've, I've had a good time. Yeah, it is a lot of fun to do. And it's the guests too. I, I just like I like learning from people. I probably learned more stuff from doing this podcast than I did in fifteen years of college. Oh, I yeah, I agree. <laughs> I can see that because I listen to your shows before I go on the shows so that I can have an understanding. Um, and you, yeah, you learn all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, like like and yeah. If you've listened to my show, like you know, like I, I've covered some pretty far out there topics. Yeah. You know, but when you, but when you listen to them, you find out they're really not that far out there. Right. Right. They're, they're not necessarily what people think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you just kind of have to open up your mind a little bit. Just a little, but not even yeah. too much. You know. Like, yeah, that's true. A lot of it's just sort of like different forms of spirituality and stuff like that. Which is all very similar. We're all trying to find a way to make life a little easier. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love covering that kind of stuff because, you know, even especially now, because I hate seeing people so wrapped up in fear, you know. I know. I, I do too. It's and, and if I could do anything just to, to take away a little bit of that anxiety. Yeah, that, you know, so much anxiety. Just, you know, because... You know, life is just a temporary experience. Do the best you can. Have fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yep. You probably came into realization of that when you were on your opioid. Or uh, not opioid, opium. <laughs> opium high. Not opioid. I did not mean to say that. Opium high. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it's just meant to be, in, you know, we're, we're just here to experience something. And, and I think people get too attached in yeah. covering some yeah. of the spiritual topics that I cover, I, I hope helps pe- break people from that attachment. That's good. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. And be careful down there. Wear your mask if you're inside at a concert, for God's sake. Oh, yeah, I always wear a mask. Okay. We've got to wear our masks. That's something that I just can't, I don't want to debate about. I yeah. just feel like anything we can do to help bring this thing yeah, I, I, I agree with the mask philosophy. I do too. I agree but with the mask. But I'm not going to argue with people that don't because... No, I'm not either. You stay away from them. I just walk away. Yep. I don't worry about it. I say, all right, do what you want. I don't care. I got to worry about me. I tell my kids, I go, just worry about yourself. All we can do is we can just control us. Yep. We can't control what other people are doing. So, yeah. you know, just worry about you. Mm-hmm. I feel like if we all just worried about ourselves, sometimes the, light, the, wor- the world would be a better place. And I don't mean like in a non-sensitive way where you're not sensitive to other people, but just the pure nosiness of what other people are thinking or what they're involved with. Um, sometimes I think we just need to worry about ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and also, you can't make people do stuff, you know. Or think the way that you want them to think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, it just, it is what it is, you know. I mean, me? 
I'd like to try to stay alive a little bit longer. Yeah, I just want to make the day a <laughs> bang little out bit a few more cop, Bang out a few more podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, if ever you need um, a co-host or something down the road, give me a call. I'd love, especially if you have an actor on or someone mm-hmm. else on in the industry, because I'd love to hear their perspective too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll yeah. definitely take you up on that, because a lot of times I really do not know what to do. With, right. with the actors, especially the ones that Steve sends you. Sometimes I'm kind of like scratching my head, you know, like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, no, if ever you need that. It, like, I, I like to hear their stories. Yeah, yeah. Like, I got lucky, like the last one he sent me, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, O'Halloran was his last name. He's the villain from Superman too. Oh, right. And, um, but he turned out to be awesome because all we talked about was the, the mafia. So, his own experience with the mafia or just the mafia? No, his experience with the mafia. His father was uh, um, was assassinated and then Gambinos took over. What? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, 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 and he's also the guy that uh, Sylvester Stallone based the movie of Rocky on. Oh. Is <laughs> so, he the one that supposedly wrote it, Rocky? Well, he didn't write it, but, but apparently Sylvester Stallone was picking his brain about it. Yeah, there's a whole controversy about that, like that Sylvester Stallone didn't write Rocky, that someone else did. Yeah, well, Sylvester Stallone wrote it, but he wrote it based on someone else's story. Mm. And he never gave that person credit. And that was the guy I was interviewing. Well, I'll have to listen to that. And it it just turned out to be like this amazing interview. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and here I was watching Superman 2 the night before trying to remember who this guy was. Yeah, I'll have to listen to that. Yeah, it was really cool. All right. Well, have a great day. I'm yeah, it go, was really I know you have more podcasts to do. I have more podcasts to do too. So. <laughs> well, enjoy your day and thanks. It was really nice meeting you. Thanks. You too. And I'll probably uh, take, uh, take you up on co-hosting some of my episodes with actors. Yeah. Anytime. I, any, any subject that'd be fun. If you feel like you're, you need um, some, you know, a sidekick on certain things. Yeah, definitely. That'd be fantastic. Thank you so much. Have a have a good night. Good day. You you too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.